with the Gorn Bracket Racing YouTube channel. Five o'clock Eastern, four Central, every single Tuesday here on the Gorn Bracket Racing YouTube channel and Facebook page. And if you can't make it there, then you can always listen to it on the podcast a little bit later. Anywhere you get your podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe to all the platforms. We always got to start out by thanking TSR Racing Products, Champs Performance Parts, BRG 3D Printed Parts, Syntex Printing out there in Temple, Texas, Driven Racing Oil, where you can use code GBR10, get yourself 10% off your order shipped to your door, Proform Parts, visit ProformParts.com, tons and tons of parts and products over there to get your hot rod in order for 2023. I actually just got off the phone with them earlier today talking about doing a carburetor video. Hopefully I'll have something on that up either this week or next week at the latest, uh, kind of going through that new carburetor that they have, alcohol-specific carburetor, and uh, give you guys the ins and outs about that whole deal. And, of course, Crew Chief Pro software. Visit CrewChiefPro.com and get yourself an ET prediction software that will definitely help you out in your racing ventures. So, George. What's new, man? It's cold at my house. Nothing new here. Nothing new at all. It's cold here too. I don't. Ex I didn't expect it to be this cold here in Texas. And um, looking like, uh, I think I saw that funny car chaos even got moved because the weather's going to be a little crazy this week, uh, which is a good thing for me since Gleghorn had to move his race into May. That means I can actually probably make it. So that helps. That helps me. My son's birthday is the same weekend as as his race. So I definitely want the shot at. Um, running two points races on a, I think, four points race schedule. You win anything there, and uh, you're bound to, to wind up in a pretty good situation as far as points league goes. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, otherwise, man, I, I just got to go with I, I told you so right off the bat. I, I am pointing this comment directly, directly at Brian and Tyler. I told y'all y'all was going to break the internet and that you was going to have all kinds of customer service and drag racers like, hey, where is my receipt? Uh, hold a second 64 car shootout. You'll be just fine doing it. I, hey, if you guys do it, more power to you, by the way, because uh, I think you've got enough of a of a, a following right now in that race to hold two 64 car shootouts for 100 grand if you wanted to. Drop it down to 50 and put 50 in your pocket. I don't really care. I don't think the racers would care even. So uh, you heard it here first on GBR. Seemingly that that race went up for sale, I believe, at noon today. It was sold out at 139. What a coincidence. Isn't that Sean Sarah's racing number? Yeah, I, I believe so. 139P. Actually, Supercomp just commented in here. It was meant to be long live 139P. That's what I'm talking so. about, man. That's what I'm talking about. So I saw that on Double O, and uh, I'll leave out the rest of the words to that to that you to that uh, Facebook page. But I saw that on Double O, and that's pretty neat, man. So here's a, here's a look at that flyer again. Hopefully, a lot of us here are going bracket racing got a chance to get into that race. I know I didn't because I'm way out here in Texas, but if I was anywhere close, hey, I'd have entered this one myself, to be honest, uh, to be able to rate at, race at Historic Beach Bend Raceway out there. And uh, I want to say it's in, uh, doggone it, it's, it's Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, definitely a very nice track. I, I grew up there quite a bit, too. So, um, yeah, man, enough of what I got to uh, to say about the TB promotions because the list could keep going. We could probably fill the whole stream. That's not what we're here to do today. I hear somebody named Quez, I don't know how many times a week, and that's from my friend Casey. So I'm going to bring you to a show a person that you may have heard of already on Going Bracket Racing. They call him Quez the Duck. Not Quez, what's going on? 
Yeah, welcome to GBR, man. Glad you got to take some time out of your day to come and chop it up with us. I know that uh, you don't know me. We've never met, but I promise I feel like I know you because Casey talk about you quite a bit, man, as you guys run, get to run in the same circles out there in, in Carolina. So you got to go ahead and tell us and uh, and let the fans and followers, I should say, know how did you get bit by the bug of bracket racing? What got you into this sport? Alright, so uh, I moved in with my grandparents, very young, about three or four, and my grandfather was hard and heavy into it, and I was like crying, running down the road every time he'd leave, because he couldn't take me with him, and so uh, when I was eight, uh, of course, I asked for a junior, and instead of the junior, I got a primer and black 68 Nova. With street tires on it, on the trailer. Disgusted with that thing, but I still drive that same car today. So, Yeah, man, and uh, that was actually, we were getting ready to get into that right before we got on the show, and I said, no, we're not going to yet, because that was my question number two here. I want to know about the Blue Nova, man. I heard, uh, I heard you and your grandpa built that car whenever you were little, and it's been around as far as, you know, Kind of like you said, ever since you've been a little kid. Um, And in fact, uh, Michael Crumpler told me a story of he remembers whenever you were maybe like 10 years old and your grandpa was talking about or somebody was asking him about selling it or something. And he says, all I remember is looking at Quez and he looks at him immediately and says, well, why don't you just sell him your car? Mine isn't for sale. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, We were at Dylan Benson. And I think a guy before it was Galat, <clears throat> and he uh, he asked me about it, and I was like, "My car ain't for sale, and I ain't even drove it yet." He tried to buy it, so. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, I made my first pass in it. I was 13 at Kinston. I was only supposed to make 60 foot passes. Uh, I went a 749 <laughs> mile an hour. <laughs> Gramps is at the fence, had no help. He said, I'm not how to race. He said, nobody taught me, so you got to learn yourself. So, so how did that work out? <laughs> it worked out pretty good. I mean, there was a lot of driveway burnouts before <laughs> I got to the track, for sure. Yeah. All I know is, uh, go ahead, George. You got it. You got it. I was, uh, I was just going to say, speaking of Kenson, that was uh, – Quez was the one behind me that uh, whenever I lost brakes in the Firebird and almost went off the end of the track and stopped right before the sand, Quez comes down. First thing he says, he gets out of the car, man, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Me and Medina are just sitting down there. Medina's actually kind of freaking out because he sees everything, and I'm kind of just like, well, that sucked. And Quez comes down, gets out of the car, says, man, what are you doing down here? (laughs) Guess you were trying to stop, huh, Casey? <laughs> I stopped. It made it. Hey, you made it. You didn't go into the into the kitty litter. You probably would have found a little bit more than what you was looking for in that kitty litter, big dog. Would have went into the corn, probably. The corn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Quiz, you've worked at one of the premier facilities in the country, probably in the world. Okay. Um, and uh, tell us what that's like. What what does Galat Motorsports Park do? Kind of that sets them apart, in your opinion, to other tracks. Different than other tracks. Uh, 
I mean, I ain't never seen a track get so much participation in a points race series than Goliath. I think uh, we averaged for a year close to 190, 200 entries a race. <laughs> I mean, it's just remarkable how many people show up for two five granders on a Saturday and Sunday and a occasional Friday night gambling race. But the racing there is top tier. <laughs> I mean, I still ain't got a big check from Galat. I'm chasing one of them <laughs> every weekend. Yeah, um, man. It's, 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 that's the only thing I can think of separate. I've never seen so many cars come for a bracket race for a points race. And that, that I believe we had 89 entered the points last year. Yeah, and and that's the thing, like you said, that's that's just entered the points because uh, you know people like me who race there all the time. I actually didn't enter the points last year because I was getting ready to have my kid, and I knew I couldn't participate. And the way my luck always works is, I would have been you know in the points lead or something, and then had to quit for the year because that's how it goes for me. So, um, what do you think, like with uh, with that particular track? How often uh, how often do you work there, and what uh, what positions do you? Uh, do you work the track? A little bit of everything? So, uh, last weekend, or the triple nickel weekend, I was a water box guy Thursday for a couple hours. Uh, I was a part-time announcer Saturday. <laughs> and then Saturday night, I think I ended up being the uh, temporary starter. For <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and... Also, I was temporary on running a computer for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of these days you'll be able to just take over as track manager. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to leave that for being. Uh, no. <laughs> That's a lot to do. But, I mean, I learned it all. He calls me if he needs me. I'll show up. Ain't no problem. I'm always there. They look out for me pretty good. So there is no issue whatsoever going up there helping them out. So do you think that uh, do you think it's the facility itself or is it the people involved or a combination of both and all the racers in this area? What what makes that track? Because, I mean, Galat's the one place that I have literally never heard anyone complain about the facility or the way it operates. Like, I mean, I've raced a lot of places and there's always your complainers. That's just how racing is. But nobody complains about Galat. Why is that, do you think? Man, to be honest, I don't know. Were you here when they first opened the lot? Like, I don't, I don't think I was. I, I was here sh very shortly afterwards. I got here in 2020. Okay, so 2016, I think that's the year I finally went. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the day after my graduation. They had a points race Saturday. And I think only eight people were entered into points, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I went up there, and there's, like, this big, huge facility, and I parked beside Michael Crumpler, <laughs> and I think there might have been 49 cars there. Believe <laughs> 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 it or not. And, uh, so, you know, we get there, we're going, of course, Michael beat me third round, but, yeah, I don't, it's just something about it now, I think. What helped that track a lot was the exposure from PDRA. Mm -hmm. 
Because, I mean, the fall swing deer, I wouldn't be mad if they kept fall swing deer and moved spring swing back to Bristol. Mm-hmm. I think it's just people don't get to race on that type of scale of track often. And I think that's why we get so much bracket participation. The testing tunes are packed out. You only gonna usually get one pass at testing tune. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like me and get there when the gates swing open and be first one down the track, because I'll get three or four in like an hour and I'll go home. <laughs> you got to have a method to get to get testing tune done. But that's that's it's it's an interesting topic that we have here because along with that, I've never been to Galat. Right, Galat is the most probably next to the ambiance of Bristol. Okay. Because Bristol's ambiance is what captures my thought process. Like waking up, I don't even run that much. But going for a run at the racetrack at like 5 in the morning when the sun comes up, seeing the mountains, getting the fresh, crisp air, that's what I feel about Bristol. When I see Galat on a TV screen, it looked like a Nintendo game. They're so pretty. Or, or let, let me not use Nintendo because the graphics ain't good enough. It looked like a PlayStation 5 video game where graphics are just perfect, except it's real life. You got the the winner across the scoreboard. Um, everything about Galat is pretty. Do you think Motor Mania TV being there for a lot of those PDRA races likely and and always streaming the, the, the fling event and the loose rocker events when they come, you think that give a little bit more of a publicity to that track as well? I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, watching it on Motor Mania, just like at Bristol. I've never been to Bristol yet. But I plan on it this year. But watching Bristol on Motor Mania, it just looks like one of the beautiful facilities out there. Right. And, right. I mean, even a couple of flings, I was watching the Galat fling from the house this past year before I got to ride out there the weekend. And I was like, man, it, like it's crazy that we got that. I mean, Casey, a couple minutes up the road, and I got it an hour away. But it's just unbelievable how it looks on that screen. And so when you really get this there, I mean, it's just immaculate. And literally the world's best scoreboards, too. That's a fact. The best scoreboards on Earth. I mean, that's, that's a fact. You never race a facility like that where, uh, oh, that was the first place. I, a lot of people are going towards those LED-style scoreboards now. But when I first moved here, it's the first time I ever saw them. And I've, I've never seen a scoreboard where you can literally at the starting line, you don't have to ever wonder. Like sometimes if you're dialed, say, uh, six, uh, 16, sometimes it looks like it could be 618 or it could look like 613 or something like that. You never have that problem at Galat because they could turn it on and show you yourself on TV if they wanted to. Huh. Huh. Yeah. No, but uh, so talking about, Galat being one of the premier facilities in North Carolina, I know that uh, you had a lot of experience when you were little growing up at Brewers, and I want to know more about Brewers because Alan Boykin, I'm sure he's watching this show. He talks about Brewers all the time in the 90s. Michael Crumpler has told me a million stories about Brewers, and I think you kind of grew up out there, didn't you? All right, so uh, the Tobacco Field Nationals at Kinston, Mm -hmm. that was originally – the Cornfield Nationals at Brewers. Okay. So uh, Brewers, I'm pretty sure he's told you, it's in Georgia's backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of tracks that we go to, and then you go to Brewers, and you probably be like, man, this place will never work. Mm-hmm. They drag a, tra- a tractor tire 
to print it. Bring it to the 60 foot, and you're like, oh, man, it, the track is wavy, but it's mm-hmm. always it. So uh, I think I started going to Brewers. I was around eight, seven or eight. I think I went to the last few Cornfield National Races. And, I mean, my, my grandpa's told me a story. They used to be, it'd get to a max capacity, and they turn races away. Mm-hmm. And he told me, uh, like, one year, there were so many cars. It's funny that he say that. I think the Cornfield Nationals won't be like a three, five grand race. And he's like, there's so many cars. He blew a motor up first round. Drove all the way back home. Now, Brewers is about 40-minute drive from his house. <laughs> Went back home, swapped the motor, got back, and they were running the finals by the time he got back to the track. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Don't they have a huge overhang over the starting line, too? They have, like, a huge overhang over the starting line. They have a pier at the starting line for, like, handicapped people. <laughs> they get all all the good close-up racing. Um, I won there. 2017, I think I won a whole race. I got a funny story about my first win there, too. Uh, tell, us, tell us the story, man. That's yeah, what the show's all subject. about. Let's hear it. <laughs> so there was a there was an all-run race, so there's top and foot breakers. And there's four guys left. There's me, I think Mike Joyner, his Vega, and two other guys that were foot breaking. And, of course, you know, there won't no pairing. There won't no on a ladder, nothing. It's old school, no crossover, old school stuff, right? I'm like, I got, like, 10-10 in the box and a 620 code, like, old <laughs> right there. And uh, so we get up there. My grandpa's like, hey, these are my buddies. I think you should split it four ways. I said, no, I'm going to win this race. <laughs> I don't think I need to split. He's like... Well, they're my buddies. You should split it. I said, okay, fine. We'll split. I said, but if I win this race, you're going to give me that $750 I'm missing out on. It was (laughs) $1,000. Winner take all, $20 to enter, no buybacks. Make as many time runs you want for an hour. Old school style. Like, Mm -hmm. the good stuff. And so, of course, I went on to win my first race, or my first top race there. And that next day, he's like, Whips out seven hundred fifty dollars. Give it to me because I told him I was gonna win it. <laughs> now, speaking of that, that was something that I wanted to get into also about Brewers because Alan always told me. So I talk to Alan usually, you know, pretty much every Friday, and he just tells me old stories about North Carolina racing back in the nineties, like the heyday time, you know. And uh, he was telling me story. Number one, side note, he told me a story about Brewers that uh, I guess a couple heads up guys went down there and went like 420s or something down there something like that so that was number one but number two uh he said you know like you were saying it's like 20 25 dollar entry fee they'd pack the house it'd be like a thousand bucks to win he said one time they were down there even and there were so many people there they counted like 13 sheriffs because there were so many people there but do you think there's room today uh for like somewhere out here anyway or even across the country whatever um, for these smaller tracks to do stuff like that because Roger Rhodes always packs the house too, you know? So do you think that there's room for, like, people still want to race, like, $20, $25 entry fee, put it all on top, might only be a grand up there, but you get all these people to show up and we can all race for cheap? 
I really think there is. And the triple nickel race was a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay this huge purse. You don't have to charge this extreme entry fee. People going to show up because people want to race. I mean, it was the first race of the season for North Carolina, really. But mm-hmm. I really think, you know, I'll be brainstorming with Matt because Matt's the main announcer at July. And, uh, you know, I called him that Saturday night, and we got to talking. And he was like, what do you think we should do? I said, and I, they ran with my plan, honestly. Uh, I said, Friday, give everybody a test and tune because we can't get it in Thursday. Mm-hmm. Gamblers race Friday night. And then I said do a 10 and a 5 because, you know, 5 times 3 is 15. Right. Said, Let's make it even better. Let's do two 10s for 155. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. And, and like you said, I mean, there were more door cars there than I have ever seen anywhere since I've been here, man. Like me and Michael Crompler were sitting here and I was like, there's got to be 150 door cars here. He goes, I think there might be more than that, man, because we filled up front to back all six lanes. We were even using lane one, which kind of confused me for a minute because you don't ever use lane one, but we started using lane one. And I was like, man, there's a ton of cars here. Like, this is awesome. Me and Michael are like, this is awesome. There's like one or two guys like, man, this sucks. There's too many cars here, blah, blah. And we're like, Dude, this is why the track's open. Like, this is awesome. Look at all these door cars here. We can look at, talk to everybody. Everybody's up here hanging out. You got enough time. You can walk up and watch some runs even though you're racing because usually you don't have time to do that. You got to kind of be close by the car. But you right. can go up and stand on the starting line and watch for, for a while, you know. So I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I was uh, I was, I was actually shocked how many people showed up because uh, – we brainstormed earlier in the week, and I said low side, I said 250, high side, 325. And I think we were almost at 400. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, man. It was door cars, which was very shocking at a 10 grander. <laughs> That's what I thought, too, is I, I was very surprised that there were so many door cars because typically in that scenario, when you have all these entries, it's because, you know, people will bring three or four dragsters in a trailer and they'll all be doubled. So you got eight entries every single trailer, you know, every one of those stackers a lot of times. But it was a whole lot of door cars. And I think it's like you said, it's because you can run two days of a 10 grander for $155. So you can double enter for 300 bucks and you're essentially entered in four 10 granders. You know, like you're not, and the buyback was only, I think, like what, 50 bucks, 50, well, it was supposed to be 55 and they upped it to 75 when they doubled the purse, I believe, which isn't that, still not bad. But the point is, is that, you know, again, cheap racing, people want to race. Even Matt said to himself, he said, um, he didn't want this race to be like, wow, this is like a big money, like you get your heavy hitter. He said this race was supposed to be a fun season opener. Everybody come out, get some racing in, not breaking your wallet, have a good time, whether you win or lose. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I had a great time, and I think I I got the fourth Saturday and third Sunday, but Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just shaking the rust off anyway, but... Yeah. No, I know what you mean, man. I couldn't hit the tree worth the crap that weekend. So <laughs> I was I was the same, only I, I just inverted the results. I was fourth on uh, Sunday and third on uh, Saturday, I think. But, 
Man, it was uh, it was a really fun event, though. I, I'm glad that they had that, and I hope they have some more stuff like that because it goes to show you how many race cars there really are around. You know, and I know, like you said, it was the first one of the year, and we got a lot of people from VMP that we probably wouldn't get if VMP was doing something. Um, you know, well, Allison, she won Saturday. She won the VMP championship last year, I'm pretty sure. Allison uh, was a complete machine Saturday night. Wow. Yeah. I- I would have hate to have been beside her at any point. I think she laid down with uh she was five total and then three total from semis to finals. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it's wild, man. I mean, that's why she was the champion last year, you know what I mean? So it's uh you know, that's that's what you gotta compete with at at Galat though. Like it's by far the toughest track that I think as a consensus, uh Anybody I've talked to that's actually raced there on a regular basis and does travel around, it's by far one of the most difficult places to race at because people are all killers there. So let me ask this question, too, because we're on the subject. Do you think if you were to hold that same event again, the turnout would be the same, even minus the VMP crowd? Or do you think VMP is coming back, too? My opinion? <laughs> hey, any, any, either one of you. It don't matter to me. Oh, yep. I mean, uh, unofficially, I was talking to Matt Zapp because of my Facebook post. I posted that it was a double dime, right? And when mm-hmm. so, you know, we usually have the Blackjack 21 grander before the fling. Mm-hmm. And he said, how about we do the double dime before the fling and we do two tens for 200? It's mm-hmm. just unofficial. But uh, I told him, I told him, it'll pack the house again. You know, 125 for a single day, 200 for the weekend. <laughs> Especially right before the fling, because those boys, they can, typically the people who will run the fling, they took the whole week off anyway. They're just going to come early. And half the week before that. Yeah, half the week before it, yeah. Yeah, because they just come for the blackjack race anyway. I mean, the blackjack race has just as many entries as the fling, $21,000 to win. You can double it for $400. Um, I thought, so So are you thinking that what they're going to do is, is they're going, because from what I saw, they got rid of blackjack. They took last weekend's, what was supposed to be the first weekend of points, and yeah. they now basically what was supposed to be second weekend of points, they were going to run that as the first weekend. They're replacing blackjack with the another with the extra points race that was canceled last week. So you're thinking that potentially could be two ten granders? Before the rescheduling of that points race, that's mm-hmm. what it well it was just kind of a brainstorm idea that he was just feeding to me and thought what I think of it. But I mean it could be just a regular points race that weekend, but some guys are gonna run. I mean which some of them don't. Some of them get there sitting a whole month for a week. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, at that point, if I'm that far, yeah, at the track, go ahead and get the runs. <laughs> right, exactly, and and especially if if you did something like what you were just saying, two tens for for two hundred bucks, they're gonna run. They're running. You know? yeah, there's like, no way they're not running that. Yeah, you'd be an idiot not to do uh, that because you know, you, like you said, you're already there. You're literally spending two hundred dollars more than it would take just to sit there all weekend. Why would you do that? Right. You know, you want to get your runs because your goal is ultimately get your runs, get everything out of the way, and win the fling. That's your goal. Right. Yeah. Even if you single enter that, there's no point not entering that. Um, 
for 200 bucks the race for the whole weekend at a shot for 10 G's. I mean, so, the worst thing can happen you run yeah. the weekend before you right. win. Or you get <laughs> yeah. data. You get data. You get to learn Galat. I know most of these racers know Galat that are going to be traveling that direction. But if it were me, I can tell you right now, I'd be entered. I'd speak for pretty much the whole Atchison's racing team. If there's two tens for 200, you consider us in. Our whole team be in there. So, um Expect to see that happening uh, when you guys do host it. I hope they have some type of live stream there, too. That'd be pretty nice to watch, to be honest. <laughs> so, anyway, guys, it's a perfect point in the show to give a, a quick a quick break. And uh, make sure you hit that like and share button here on the Going Bracket Racing uh, show. Uh, like and share, subscribe, follow whichever, uh, whichever platform you catch us on. We will be right back with more from Quez the Duck. Hang in there. <laughs> BRG Motorsports 3D Printer Racing Parts are able to provide you with whatever you desire to enhance your drag racing operation. Items like safety belt magnets, nitrous bottle holders, and even quick-release delay box mounts are able to be obtained from BRG Motorsports 3D Printer Racing Parts. Have a look at top-selling items such as helmet hooks and steering wheel hooks, which are proven to make it easier to maneuver throughout your race car. You can contact BRG Motorsports 3D Printer Racing Parts at telephone number 765-729-1177. TSR Racing Products has everything you need to make your Power Glide Turbo 350, Turbo 400, and 727 transmissions the best they can be on the street or at the track. With exceptional products, customer service, and over 30 years of experience, TSR Racing Products is always available to help their customers with any of their transmission needs. In-house machining ensures you only receive the best products from TSR Racing. Visit TSR Racing Products at tsr-racing.com or give them a call at 800-394-5889. Skinny on the ProForm Slim Fit Radiator Systems. They are the industry's first and only four-inch thick radiator system. That's the radiator plus the shroud plus the fan combined. combined. A complete unit that's up to 40% thinner than others on the market. Fully assembled for performance out of the box. Eliminate the stress and frustration that comes as precious weekend hours are lost trying to upgrade your cooling system with major space constraints. The SlimFit system utilizes two patented pieces of technology, allowing for a seamlessly integrated radiator system with a third tank in the center of the radiator where the high-performance fan motor is installed inside the core, not hanging off the shroud. The coolant can flow all the way through the radiator, eliminating dead space. And it looks especially great under the hood. Sleek angles, eye-catching perforations, and a smooth aluminum shroud complete the streamlined four-corner design that defines style and a well-put-together engine bay. Welcome back. Going Bracket Racing Show. Uh, live with Quez the Duck. You know it can't be uh, can't be possible. Thank you to our, uh, first of all, thank you to you, the, the followers, the, the viewers, for always chiming in, giving great questions out. I see you all in the chat with a guest on here. It's a little bit hard to get to all the questions, uh, but we'll try to get down. We'll go through the list a little bit before the stream is over with there. But 
Proform Parts, thank you for being a partner with us. Uh, TSR Racing Products, thank you as well. Uh, Got to shout out BRG as well. Um, along with all the other sponsors, Driven Racing Oil, Ken Jones Performance Team 14, Syntex Printing, and that other sign that says your ad here. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate you ahead of time. So getting back into the show. Quiz, next question here. I feel like you, you and I both could answer this question. Actually, all of us could answer this question pretty easily. But uh, can a low-budget operation compete with the big boy toys today? Yes, they can. Uh, prime example, my Camaro. Very low-budget car. It's a 454. No, I think it's yes, 454. Ain't been bored up. Uh, flat tap cam, overport heads, stock heads, just been ported, Edelbrock intake, automatic carburetor, 660, everywhere I go. As consistent as any car, any given day, I believe, from Halloween Habit 2021, the time slips it ran from a 63 to a 65 over three days. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. 22. Oh, wow. Yeah, man, that's uh, I, I agree with you on that for sure. And I, I'm not 100 percent certain that uh, I'm not 100 percent certain that a lot of people are kind of coming around to that thought process of going back to the slower cars that are lower maintenance and, uh, you know, cheaper to initially invest in them. Um, when you don't have high strung motors, you can then you don't need to freshen them every single year. You know, motors like that, you can put 700, 800 runs on them before anything's really going to happen. I mean, I was just talking to Adam Bouillier last night, and he said he had like a, I want to say a 509 or something like that back in the day, and he said he would hate to know how many runs he ended up having on it. But I feel like that's the threshold kind of right there. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty. that's pretty good. And I, I always do this. My bad over over to Champ's Performance. He drives a pretty slow car, too. Shout out Champ's Performance being one of those uh, marketing partners as well. But um, another guy who, who I'm not going to call that car low budget by any means. But does, not anymore. Does, does it run sevens, though? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a purpose-built seven-second car or if it's just the fact that that's what it well, goes. He won a lot of 50s in that, that one year, didn't he, Quiz? Yeah. yeah, he was on the chair with that little thing for a while. <laughs> Man, so. And I, I think it has to do a lot. And I, if you if you go back and look in the archives, it was probably a couple years ago now. But when we originally had Champ on here, um, I think he mentioned something along the lines of no one can really judge him but he's used to seeing everybody run up on him in that car. So he can then judge them because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize I've, I've been lucky and I've kind of got to drive a little bit of everything like slow door cars, faster door cars. I'm building a really fast door car now. Hopefully we'll find out, <laughs> but, uh, but I've driven dragsters, you know, of kind of all speeds and whatnot. And a lot of people don't realize that, just like you can't really judge that dragster coming up on you at 140, 150, and you're going about 100, they can't judge you either. So if that's the same, you know, apples to apples there, then why not spend less money? <laughs> it's a true statement. Uh, going back to a dragster, being a door car person, mm -hmm. I didn't struggle with it with Camaro because it's a 10-mile-an-hour difference from the low-living Camaro, so I had to adjust to it. 
mm-hmm. the same trick the Camaro wouldn't work in the new but you know I say the same thing if you're running about 108 110 through the people always say oh you can't see that dragster you can't see that dragster all right, if they're 440s and 420s, I agree. I can't see that car when they're coming up. But like a 460 to 490 car, when they get to that mile-an-hour cone, if they're not at my door, they're not getting it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's it's just all about learning the car and driving the car and going racing. And, again, that kind of goes back to what we were saying about brewers being cheap enough where you could race, you could, you, could, you know, for $20, I mean, everybody's going to buy as many entries as you'll let them buy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's how you get seat time. And that's how you learn stuff like that. And uh, it's all about getting the seat time. But the thing, you can only test and tune so much. You can make your car good at test and tune. You can't make yourself a good racer at test and tune. Not the finish line side. I mean, you can learn to hit the tree and stage and stuff like that. But you can only race when you're racing. And unfortunately, to learn how to really drive the finish line, you have to sacrifice a lot of rounds trying to try stuff because you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. But one day, whenever you get a hold of it, where do you think Nasty Nick comes from? Where do you think Jeff Sarah comes from, et cetera, et cetera? It's it's because they made tons and tons and tons of runs, and that's how you learn to drive the stripe like they do. We got Urban Askew in here. He says, my little S10, 357 uh, cubic inches, runs – 680s so i mean he's out there shooting shooting coming on alongside of him getting ran up on pretty hard too and um i know i'm in this like you said about 117 117 116 range in my s10 uh right about six flat normally and uh i think i think you're right about that 460 470 range on up man if they ain't in a certain spot ain't getting you a lot of the work you're going to do is going to be right there at that mile an hour cone in the first place when you run a dragster, in my opinion. Like, I can't start lifting that 500-foot versus no dragster. I can't do that, okay? But but definitely, uh, that was a very uh, very interesting comment you made there. I'm, I'm duly noted and like, yeah, that makes sense to me. When I go back on the GoPro and look at it, where did I take care of business? Normally, it's in the mile an hour cone because he wasn't there. So, yeah, you're right about that, Quiz. Yeah, that's so, Go ahead. 3,500 3, pounds slid, so when I hit the brick, she's stopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned that in uh, I learned that in Dylan Champion's car too. Whenever uh, with uh, stock brakes and stuff like that, they drag a little bit more than my car does. And uh, whenever I was lifting, I thought I was killing like maybe one or a little more every time I lifted, and I'm killing like two or two and a half. And Adam's like, dude, that thing's heavy, and it's got stock brakes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It slows down. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I figured that out. You know, I will mention this, too. I got into a battle with uh, with a good friend of mine out there at, uh, at Ardmore, and he ran up on me. I think he was down 480s. And uh, everybody knows I have the Crew Chief Pro software now. Well, I'm going through my time slip, and I put in his information and mine. And Crew Chief Pro detected that both of us dropped <laughs> close to the same time, which is interesting. How they did that on one ticket that I input. So it said, breaking detected. 
is what it said on that on that machine. You guys got to get a shot to look at that Crew Chief Pro. Pretty pretty in intricate system that I'm learning here now. So ask any questions you got, and if I don't know the answers, I'll call Don and he'll hook us both up. So I had to throw that out there, Casey. Pretty interesting stuff. That is interesting that that it would do something like that. I didn't even know about that feature. Breaking so that's, detection. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it told uh, me I killed 003 to 004, and uh, I dropped right in between the Monarch Cone and the finish line. So hypothetically. I shouldn't kill more than 005 right there in that spot, in my opinion. Not in a 2,400-pound not-stock brake. <laughs> it ain't going to drag, and when I hit the brakes, it ain't just going to stop like that. So I scrubbed, right. you know. So, Quez, what's, uh, you know, kind of the theme of this entire, uh, I guess, podcast right here is um, do you think that, you know, obviously the question we're on right now is low-budget teams. Do you think that uh, as far as a low-budget guy – is your money best spent on the car or best spent on the entry fee? In my perspective, uh, get the car right first. Get the car where you got a good tune-up. It'll work anywhere. You can go to any track, and it'll repeat the same. That's a lot of problems I see with a lot of people who just start up. They get something that's inconsistent and won't run the same thing. I had the carburetor issue, torque converter ain't set up right. I mean, I, we we did a lot of R&D with the Nova because it, it wasn't supposed to be as fast as it is. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still shooting for 590s and a completely all-steel, non-back half car. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's not light like mine. <laughs> <laughs> like. I'd be in the fives real fast if I had your chassis for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot of R&D. I mean, I had to get up with a couple people. Uh, when we built that 496, I think we had 28 spline axles in it. So, of course, the axles was the weak link. So, it's a lot of, it's just a lot of R&D, a lot of testing you got to do. It took me a while to get to know where it is going that fast because we had to get all the right setups because it won't used to leaving that hard. I had to learn suspension setups, what worked where, what didn't, tire pressures. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff you just got to keep trying and whatever works for you, really. Because, uh, I mean, my issue for a while, I mean, a lot of people probably know that we run with uh, like 2019, I had the motor and transmission and converter out of that car three times in the month of March. Mm. <laughs> like, I could not catch a break. Everything just kept breaking. And then I put something new in there and I had to relearn it. Put something new, relearn it. And it, I could never get a, a feel and grasp of the car. But I mean, just put more money into it. I stayed local. Until I got the car right, but this year I think I'm going to venture back out since I got a grasp on the car, what it wants, what it needs. But, yeah, I really think that's it. You just got to know the car, get used to your car, and you can go out here and compete with the best of them. You just got to get your setup right. Yeah, I think that's good advice, uh, uh, and kind of leads me into my next question, too, because the younger generation, um, we have to preserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, bracket racing can't go anywhere because I want to race for a long, long, long time, and I want to watch my kids race when I'm done. 
You know what I'm saying? So um, do you think the younger generation is staying involved with bracket racing nowadays? Or do you think they're maybe spending their money in the wrong spots, kind of like we're, what we're talking about right now? Uh, from what I see, it seems like a bunch of the younger generation is they're getting hot, like right into something that their parents grew, kind of like I did. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, everybody they want to go fast. That's everybody's goal. I don't care if you're a bracket racer or heads up racer, you want to go fast. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's the younger generation. I think they like it. Like a lot of the junior kids, there's there's a lot of threats I see in the junior director ranks right now because of how dedicated and how much time they put into it. Like Lane Morgan, who runs that a lot, like that kid's gonna be pretty tough. Uh, Jaden Waller, he's running top right now. He come out of juniors. I mean, the kid was holding three tenths in juniors, winning <laughs> almost every weekend. And hey, you see him scoop rocking about every weekend now, but. I mean, a lot of the younger generation, I think, I think we're all right in bracket racing case. I don't think they're going to venture off too far, especially if their parents were doing it or if they were real in it in juniors and they're ready to move up, they're, they're going to be all right. Yeah, it's just like Michael Beard says all the time, anytime anybody brings up there's no new blood in the sport. He said, I saw something he said the other day. He's like, 1980, there's no new blood. That's the problem. 90, same thing. 2000, on and on and on. And yet here we still are, you know, all these years later, everything's fine. So, um, you know, and like you said, it makes their transition a lot easier. I mean, I did the same thing. My dad had a car lined out for me, and I stepped straight into a good car whenever I was younger, too. So, it's it's a lot less discouraging because the problem is you have to be good when you come out of juniors because you're getting thrown to the sharks if you're going straight into top, especially nowadays. And if you have a, a car that's not really set up, it can get discouraging really quick because not only do you not understand, I don't care how good of a junior racer you are, you don't understand the speed differentiation, you never have experienced that big of a mile an hour gap. I mean, just think about it. Uh, you know, our mutual buddy, Brandon Lane, he runs like 145 mile an hour. My Nova runs 100. Like you've never experienced that type of mile an hour difference in junior dragsters. So right. Right. that's, you know, so you're learning that. You're learning, you're learning closure rates. You're learning how you got to be double O every single time. And sometimes you'll be, I saw Tim Thomas was two total at Darlington last year and lost, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there's just a lot to get on top of. And then to have a car that won't repeat on top of it can get very discouraging and make you not really know if you belong there or not. So it's good that uh, their parents do have something good for them to step right into. Yep. Yep. No, that's true. Everybody knows the story of how I got my S10 and it, uh, that was my first race car, first real race car I've really ever raced except for the Corvette. Uh, of course, that was uh, my father's. That's my father's build. Uh, just just happened to be lucky enough to be able to pilot it a couple times. But definitely, uh, I, I still have my own learning curves to go through um, currently with my car. So the, the story doesn't end. And if it does, maybe you're looking at it at the wrong way when it comes to your car. You should always be in my opinion, date, get, grabbing some type of data off your machine. So, um, Absolutely. I'm looking All at right, this, so I think everybody got to get in, in the Indian style, sit down on the carpet, <laughs> get some popcorn. I'm ready for this. Yeah, so but. this is 
This is the story time with Quez section because every time that I have ever talked to Quez at the track, ever since he figured out we had this show, he was like, man, when are you going to let me get on there? I got lots of racing <laughs> stories. I got lots of racing stories. Well, I contacted several of his buddies to get some racing stories. So I don't even know this full story at the first one because I, I was talking to Brent and uh, Brent said, first of all, I'm not sure if these are two different stories. So I'm going to ask you just a little bit of it. Is the Piedmont mini million, does that have to do with the sketchy hotel? <laughs> uh Oh, he just laughs. laughs. Yeah. 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 I don't right. I remember a lot from that, but that was a very, very interesting weekend. And that was also the first weekend that I found out about the elite bracket races of the world. That's the first weekend I saw T-Rock, you know, uh, the whole FTI group, you know, the whole, basically everybody that's in the big money racing scene now, they were there for that first mini million. <laughs> and that was my first sight of seeing, like, wow. Like, I thought the guys I raced every weekend were like, I mean, not taking nothing away from them, that they're good, but these guys are like the full-time racing guys. I was like, oh, wow, like these guys are the real deal. Like, I'm glad my car's at the house. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me another story, too, that he wanted you to tell where I guess you guys left the house. You were going to leave at 5 in the morning so you could go hit two tracks in the same day or something. All right. This is the Darlington Point Street story. <laughs> so uh, he hits me up early in the week. He's like, hey, man, you want to go to Darlington? I'm like, sure. He said, they got two races in one day. I said, beautiful. That sounds like a great time. If I suck early in the day, I can recover later on. <laughs> I'm up 530. Dude, I'm on 95, 530 southbound, ready. Headed down there. I think time runs were nine in the morning. And it's a two hour and forty five minute drive. So we're five thirty on ninety five rolling. So we get there, of course. Uh Darlington's tree is really fast, so if you ever go, be prepared because I was used to racing around here. They got a little lag in it, so <laughs> you know, you get time to kind of breathe. Darlington, you ain't got no breathing room. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like a good 30 to 40 spread. We get there. Okay. And uh, so they said we're going to start the second race while we're down to eight in the first race. So I was like, oh, that would be fine because this is like four o'clock. They're in like fourth or fifth round by now. I was like, oh, we're good. So I don't know if this was a normal Darlington thing back then, but they called new entry time room. And there's like 50 to 60 cars in top for new entry time rooms. And I was like, I don't see these people pulling the gate. <laughs> I mean, there's 40 foot breakers and I think 20 more juniors. So I'm like, we had a whole maybe hour, hour and a half of time room. So needless to say, we didn't start the second race till about 9 o'clock that night. Darling has no curfew. That was the <laughs> No curfew. So uh, I go up there first round. Uh, I was like 40. So I told Brent, I said, we're just going to throw a Hail Mary right here. It's first round buybacks only. I throw a Hail Mary. I roll 40 out the box. I'm perfect. <laughs> go down there. That's round one. That's at 938. 
<laughs> I do have the time slips on this roof. And believe it or not, we go up for round two. I'm sitting on the bye. And I'm like, cool, I got the bye. Right? I'm rolling under the tower at Darlington. And a guy comes up, pulls up beside me. And I was like, geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I feel it because I've been up almost 18 hours. So I'm feeling it at this point. So I'm like, all right, maybe, you know, we'll see. All right, so I roll up there. I'm three red. I rolled six in to be three red. Should have rolled 10 in, got my 10 spot, didn't do it. <laughs> so I'm out second round. And uh, so I park the car. I go ahead and load it up on the trailer. Now, mind you, I get my time slip. And the exact time I went across the stripe and that slip printed was 11.54 p.m. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Second round, right? So, uh, Brent's still in, by the way. He's still knocking him in the head. Yeah, he would be. And I got my car on the trailer. I'm sitting in the truck. I think I go watch, watch him win one more round. I think that was third round. And uh, so I'm in the truck. I'm like, all right, dude, I'm just going to nod off real quick. You know, because I saw he was getting pretty hot. So I said, we're going to be here for a while. So I'm just going to nod off real quick. So, of course, I'm asleep. Brent comes over, knocks on the window. He's like, hey, man, we're getting ready to load up and roll out. <laughs> I'm clueless to what time it was at this point. <laughs> so I just hop out the truck, strap my car down, load everything up. And we're pulling out, and I check the clock, and it's 3.30 a.m. <laughs> Still got to drive all the way home. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I lost the semis. I said, it's 3.30 in the morning, dude. <laughs> <laughs> she just got in the truck and went to sleep. So we hit Waffle House on the way back. Grab <laughs> coffee. That lasted till I got to maybe south of the border. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so at that point, it's hit me bad. We're almost reaching 24 hours of being awake. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you know, Brent and his dad, they're, they're dog laying it up 95, and I'm 45 mile per hour, rumble strip to rumble strip in the back there. <laughs> like, Lord, please let me get back to Brent's house. <laughs> 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 That's the story of why, uh, if there's no curfew, we will never run another two in one day event. <laughs> <laughs> but he made it. So that leads us to the next question. Scott, our next story. Scott Lewis says there's a story you have about going to Coastal and the Nova almost passed you on the trailer. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. This is uh, the anniversary of this is coming up, so be sure to check Facebook. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Coastal has those night races. They have night point races, so they don't, the gates open at like 4 5 o'clock. And they started at like six, six thirty. Uh so I was like I hit up Big Brown, you know. I was like, Hey man, I'm just gonna come hang at your house, you know, just for a couple of hours, we can hang out, you know, talk racing or whatever. He's like, All right, man, I'm here. I was like, Okay. So I'm all loaded up, it's about twelve o'clock in the afternoon. I'm coming down uh two fifty eight. And uh we get there. And I'm like, man. Uh, so I put my phone down. I was changing the. I remember this exact how it happened. 
Uh, I'm on my phone. I saved the song. I put my phone down. All right, so I get back. I'm locked on the road, and uh, I start getting a bad vibration out the back of my truck. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so this is where it gets really sketchy. Uh, I have oncoming traffic, and the person in front of me is stopping to turn at their house, but they're a good, I say, eighth mile in front of me. All right. I look back again. I look at the side of the mirror, and I can't see the side of my car anymore. <laughs> I said, okay. I look up in the rear view mirror, and I see the front left corner of my car. <laughs> so I got, and we're going about 45 miles per hour at this point, and I'm fully convinced trailer is not connected to the truck anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at this point, I, I felt like I did what the only option I had at that point was uh, I kind of got in the trailer to the ditch. <laughs> the guy was still sitting there in the road. I still had oncoming traffic, and the worst thing I wanted to happen was that trailer come back onto the road, mm-hmm. and then I ended up hurting a bunch of people because 258 at 12 o'clock is a pretty busy highway. And uh, so I cut the truck. I cut the trailer off with my truck. The truck, I'm spinning around in the middle of the road. And the whole time while I'm spinning, I got my eyes locked on my car in that trailer as it's sliding <laughs> down the ditch. <laughs> the Nova's been through a lot. <laughs> it has. So I immediately, I FaceTime Big Brown. I'm like, hey, man. He's like, hey, where you at? I said, oh, uh, I'm in the ditch. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, no, no kidding. I'm, I'm in the ditch. I flipped the phone around. He's like, do you need help? And I'm like, I'm not sure how you can help me at this point. <laughs> so then, of course, state trooper, uh, I called Gramps up. I'm like, hey, I was like, my car's in a ditch, truck's across the street, but I'm okay. I really want okay. I had hurt my back pretty bad. I slammed mm. against the center console and it pretty hard mm. when uh, it initially hit me. But uh, he was like, what do, you, what do I need to bring? I said, if this thing fires up, I said, bring the truck and trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so they drag it out the ditch. I got it on the main highway. It fires up. <laughs> I said, all right. I said, he was like, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to the track. Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that night end up? Did you, did you win any money? Because if you would have won that race, that would have been unbelievable. <laughs> uh. Believe it or not, uh, I get down there. We're going to get to the, the end of the night. Uh, but, of course, I get my other truck and trailer load up, head on down there. car is covered in mud and dirt. It looks like I just left Southern National at a, <laughs> a dirt track race. <laughs> so I'm sitting there just trying to knock all the dust and dirt off. I'm pretty sure I left a dust cloud on the first time around, but whatever. So, uh, Here's the sketchiest part about that night. It kinked my shifter cable, and I didn't know it. And so part was irrelevant, didn't have part. I had, so part on the shifter was reverse. Uh, reverse was neutral. And then, no, part was reverse, yep. Uh, there was no neutral. It was high and low. That's all I had. <laughs> so there's wheel chalks in the trunk in the staging lanes. Uh, 
I finally found neutral so I could actually crank it without cranking it in gear. <laughs> and uh, so to shift this, I had to readjust it every round. And I only had one shot at this. You Once I pulled it once, it was over with. It was out of adjustment again. Wow. <laughs> and so if I ever had to back up, I was screwed. Oh, so wow. I kept my burnout really short and simple. But the way that I had to do it was low gear was low and high on the shifter. And I had to hit the reverse lockout and put it in reverse to go to high gear. <laughs> and I made it to 11 cores. Ooh. I ran <laughs> in the dragster, and I broke out 3,000, taking like 19 that Ooh. night. <laughs> but I said, I really hope, the whole time I was running, I was like, I really, really hope this thing does not decide to get right and go into reverse when I mm. shift this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. Hey, man, that's... <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one. I would feel like just staging for first round, you've already won the whole event. <laughs> but I got to hear this story, man, too, because you said there was a story also whenever we were in the pre-show here that Corey Moore brings you a new race car in the middle of the race or something. All right. Oh, you remember I told you all earlier, the 28 spawns in the middle? Yeah. That was at Rockingham. <laughs> <laughs> All right. yeah, he, lives, uh, he lives in Durham, doesn't he? Uh, I think on the other side of Sanford. He, he won't know a clue. Oh, okay. So uh, I go out there that Saturday. No, it was a Friday. It was a Friday. I forgot what race it was. But I broke an axle. I think we were down to like 16. I broke an axle. I did the nastiest one-wheel peel burnout you'll ever see from a drink. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I was just hoping the guy went red because it that right side was no longer connected <laughs> to my drive. <laughs> and uh, I called him up. I'm like, hey, man, I need a car. And no questions asked. He was like, I'll be there in the morning. And to be sure, he brought me a car. I got down to 16 again the next day in his car. Well, I went from 620s to 720s overnight. But... <laughs> That little car he had, like I said, a budget car, that thing was flat out nasty. I think it was just a little 305 on alcohol and a old, I think it was old stalker. Mm-hmm. For what it was, just stock suspension on 9-inch radials, that thing was flat out nasty. It stayed on a 724 all day, and I got 16 again with it. But uh, he's another one, man. I I really appreciate him. He helped me out a lot. He didn't have to do that. I mean, he was at the house just chilling. He won't have no intentions of coming. Yeah. And he ended up doing pretty good the same day. I think we lost the same round. <laughs> he's building a uh, dragster now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that'll be interesting to see because every time I talk to him, I talked to him at Triple Nickel. He, he was out there and he came over to the trailer and, I was talking to him. He changed his mind on what he's doing again. So you never know. He's going to come out and randomly go 440s or something, knowing him. <laughs> so who you got to thank before you get out of here, man? We've come up on that hour, and uh, it's easy to do here at the GBR. And yep. Coming up on the hour is real easy to do. Who you got to thank before you get out of here, Quinn? Uh, everybody. I can everybody. say that. Everybody, you guys, uh, the Stowe family, the Sasser, 
Hell, the round trees, Sean Brown, everybody, dude. They, a lot of people have my back. They help me a lot. Uh, I try to, you know, pay it forward. That's, that's kind of a little quote we always went by at the household for a while. Pay it forward. <laughs> and that's what I try to do. A lot of people help me out, so I try to always help them out. I heard that. Well, we we certainly appreciate you taking an hour and coming to hang out with us, and we'll try to get you back on here before it's all said and done. Maybe for one of them live from the Eighth Mile events, Casey. That might be pretty good to get him at at Galat while he's out there on the live screen. But uh, that'd be pretty neat right there. But as always, Casey, you got anything to close out? No, man. Just again, got to shout out those sponsors: TSR Champs Performance Team Fourteen Driven Racing Oil Proform Parts. Crew Chief Pro, BRG 3D printed products, Syntex printing out there in Temple, Texas. And who else am I forgetting, George? You switched the screen on me, man. I was cheating. Hey, man. Uh, <laughs> you got champs? I think got you got champs. them all. I think you got them all, Casey. I think you get driven. I got driven. I'm practicing for Loose Rocker. I'm hoping that Ryan Glayhorn interviews me this weekend. I got you. <laughs> well, if we missed you. We won't miss you on the next one. Thanks for all you do. Special shout out to you followers and, and watchers and listeners and viewers and supporters of GBR. We can't thank you enough. As always, guys, we will see you next Tuesday. Hang in there. We'll see you then.